I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Tell Me Tales Podcast. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Thanks for downloading the show. Um, it's good to be with you. Thanks for tuning into this conversation. It's with Dave Costello. Dave is a strength and conditioning coach out of Sydney. Um, trains the likes of Matt Hudson, who's a pretty decent decent 10K half marathon uh, guy, low 29-minute guy, and has just continued to improve over a number of uh, years. And uh, Dave reached out to me, sent me an email. He knows I always bang on the podcast about how I've got to start doing some strength and conditioning work and um, he was offering to give me some assistance and I said well why don't we make it a podcast episode and give the listeners some assistance as well so um, very motivating some really good stuff in here you can kind of tell the the passion that um, goes into Dave's voice and just that enthusiasm that comes out as well is just um, yeah absolutely awesome and uh, yeah really motivated me actually went to the gym today I've already started so I'm glad that um yeah, I've kicked myself into gear a bit and started things going off this conversation. We have got some show notes to this one, which we'll put on our Facebook page. It's a bit of a program that anyone can grab and use from there. Really appreciate that Dave uh, gave up some time and passed through his expertise in this in this field. And yeah, I think it's going to really help a lot of people out there. So if you get a chance, hit him up and tell him you heard him on Tell Me Your Tales. And yeah, uh, we'll go from there. Anyway, guys, enjoy this conversation. Strength and conditioning, all about, uh, all about that stuff. And yeah... Let me know what you think. Thanks, guys. All right, Dave Costello, welcome to Tell Me a Tales podcast. Thanks, Brady. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah, we just had a bit of a confusion on Skype where I'm trying to ring the wrong account, but it's finally uh, good to hear your voice. Yeah, a bit of confusion, but we're all good. Uh, yeah, podcasting problems. Hey, uh, you know what I do on this podcast? You, uh, you've listened to a few, yeah? Yeah, I listened to many. I've been playing catch-up the last probably oh, probably the last two months since uh, since Christmas when I sort of discovered it. And uh, yeah, haven't put it. It's like a good book. Haven't put it down since. Oh, thanks for those comments. Catching up on the old ones and telling everyone about it. So yeah, it's funny that people when they discover. I've done the same thing with other podcasts. You discover them and then you're like, oh, there's 75 episodes here, and you just kind of go back and yeah, get sucked in a bit. It's kind of kind of good to. It's a good feeling to come across a good find. 
Oh, it's great. It's it's. I'm a bit. Uh, I sort of shove things down people's throats sometimes. <laughs> when I find a good thing, I'm like, you got to listen to it. You got to listen to it. So even my brother, who's uh, normally pretty hard to get into things, he uh, I've got him on it. I went around to his house the other day and walked in, and he had it on in the kitchen while he was cooking. Oh, jeez. So, yeah. <laughs> You're making me feel a bit of pressure now. It's uh, yeah, it's good <laughs> to hear though. But hey, you know what we do at the start? We usually get the guest to introduce themselves. So do you want to maybe say a few words? And yeah, feel free to go as deep or as basic as you want with that one well, i'll start basic i think um dave costello um i guess my role and the reason i'm on the show is i'm a strength and conditioning coach for uh, a few distance middle distance and um distance runners from actually from 400 meter to all the way through to ultra runners so um background in sort of pt stuff uh qualified uh pdh pe teacher um yeah Beautiful, mate. And we had a good email exchange because you've heard me banging on in uh, in a few different episodes. I've kind of spoken about how I know very little about the strength and conditioning world for runners. And um, yeah, you're very nice in sending me an email and saying, look, if you want some help with it, feel free to shoot me an email. And then I thought, well, better yet, why don't we get you on the show and uh, let everyone kind of listen in because there's a few people in the same boat, I reckon. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I mean, going back to what you just said, I was a bit surprised when you asked me to come on the show because I honestly just I uh, sent that email thinking well I'll give you a shout and see if you're interested in actually trying some strength and conditioning and under a bit of guidance and giving you a bit of advice and then when you asked me to come on I thought <laughs> what do you got this nobody on here for <laughs> no, no, no no not at all nobody you work with some of the best guys in Australia what are you talking about oh, I'm kind of you know a bit like that you know always looking ahead and I don't really rate myself in that way, so no, it's, uh, it was nice to get the call up. Some of those guys' results kind of uh, speak for themselves, though. So, yeah, no, we rate you pretty highly at this end, and, yeah, thanks for thanks for giving up some time. And, and yeah, as I said, I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners, uh, me included, kind of we want to know more about this strength world, but maybe we've heard a few myths or something and we're a bit afraid of getting into it or we're just not sure what to do and the confusion's there. And, and I think that whole thing of getting injured when you're actually trying to make yourself stronger is also a bit of a, a threat for some people as well. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of misnomers about strength training and I can kind of understand why because if you had have asked me, you know, even probably five or six years ago, about strength training for for runners for distance runners i might have been in the same boat it's just i started like you know i've been in the strength industry and pt industry for probably 10 11 years and it was almost i wouldn't say unheard of but close to unheard of um for distance runners to be doing you know strong heavy sort of weightlifting and you know i think that people think as soon as you start lifting weights you're going to slow down you're going to bulk up um, it's going to, you know, injure you if you do it incorrectly. And it kind of, kind of makes sense that people think that, but it's far from that. And if you understand the underlying principles behind, behind the training and what you're actually in the gym to do, um, which is what I, I hope we can kind of get into today, mm. uh, people might then understand how it actually contributes to, to running performance and, and not directly all the time, but, you know, indirectly through, you know, recovery and hormonal response and um, durability, which um, I'll get into as well about talking about someone like Matt Hudson, who's been able to string, you know, Matt Hudson, who I train, <clears throat> great 5K, 10K runner. He he had a quite a few little niggles and injuries that were halting him and stopping his training. And 
since I've been training him, I think he hasn't hasn't been off the track for longer than three or four days. You know, like he, he's just been able to string year after year together, and and you see the results. And that's to me, that's the main thing. You yeah. know, you're not going to walk into the gym and three months later become a better runner. You, you, you're not. It's not going to make you a better runner. It's not going to make you lift your knees higher and. You know what I mean? Like it's going to make you recover quicker. It's going to make you put for, more force into the ground for uh, for for less impact. If if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred so. percent. And I and you think of a guy like Matt Hudson as well. And he's kind of he's always been around, but the last probably twenty four months, two years, he's kind of gone from a thirty thirty guy to a twenty nine ten guy over ten k. And um, yeah. yeah, he's really made that kind of significant jump. And if you're kind of talking about you know that's a big jump for a guy who's running at those speeds. But if you're a forty or a fifty minute ten k guy, there could be um yeah a lot of potential to apply some of this stuff into your routine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, oh, sorry, he's mate. not he's not a super young guy either. You know, yeah. he's in his thirties, so to get that kind of improvement at that age, it's yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I think the good thing about talking to you is that you're a runner as well, and you know you know you kind of. You're not a gym guy, and no offense to some of those gym guys, but um, that's probably the problem I've had in the past, trying to get gym guys to write me a running program for the gym, whereas you're the running guy and the strength guy put together, and you know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I and I do still run and compete, and <clears throat> I've had my fair share of um, niggles and injuries and setbacks myself, um, and I've been around running a long time. So I do, I do get it, and I think that is a big, a big reason that I can get a lot of buy-in from clients mm. and you know, they, they get that I, and, and they'll come in and if they are sore and tired and, or they do have a race coming up or whatever it is, I kind of get how they feel and I know how to pull it back and push when it's, when they're able to push, but pull back when they need to pull back. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Um, I, talk us through your running journey. You ran a 5k today. You'll just tell me off air. So how'd that go? Uh, yeah, went well, uh, a bit of controversy. I, I, I'm convinced I ran. I'm, I'll start by saying I'm by no means a, like an elite runner. Um, so I just I try my best. I train as hard as I can. Uh, probably punch out at the moment about 80 k's a week on a good week. So I'm not training, you know, huge miles or anything like that. Um, but yeah, today we, I went in masters. <laughs> so I am 37 now, almost yeah. 38. And uh, there hasn't been many 5K track races this season. So I thought, well, I'm in good shape at the moment. I'll get in one. And I'm pretty sure I ran – I crossed the line and the clock – I sprinted to get under 16.20. So I got 16.19, which is a pretty big PB for me. Um, and then I've just checked the results online and they've got me down at 16.28. So I'm a bit uh, bit miffed. I'm going to call New South Wales Athletics and find out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. They have a live stream or something on it. Like if you've got some video, uh, video, no video live, footage. Right? No, nothing so oh. but you know i know i know my splits going through the clock going through you know three 1k and 3k and things like that and the clock was correct at those times and then all of a sudden in the results it's different so oh not- yeah that's uh that's funny because i've had my dramas with time this morning as well i was in charge of our local park run and um we kind of sent them off and the clock's working fine the stopwatch and all that stuff and got to about the 15 minute mark and I was talking to the guy holding the stopwatch and um, all of a sudden he's moved his hand and the battery's just fallen straight from the back of the stopwatch to the ground. And um, Uh, yeah, uh we'd lost everything and I'm looking at him and I'm going, is it still working? He's like, nah, it's cleared. 
But then we had to do a bit of a kind of fast thinking. So when the first person came across the line, we started the clock, and she had her own time. She's a pretty credentialed runner in town, and then we had to work it out from there. So um, yeah, right. we, were, we were doing a bit of yeah, hacking at the back end of the parkrun system this morning, trying to work out about ninety people's time. So uh, that's interesting. We both had drums with with time this morning. Oh, mate, that's a pretty quick resolution. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't have been the end of the world if if one week it went missing, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. It would have probably been the end of the world, though, mate. People are pretty, yeah, we had a couple of people run some PBs, and they come across the line like, yes, I run a PB today, and I'm like, ooh, I'm not going to tell them that we've uh, had to, yeah, change the results around. But, yeah, we pulled it off in the end, and everyone's Strava runs matched up to our results, and it was it was all good. But um, no. have you been running for a long time, like taking back to the junior years? Um, okay, so I ran – when was I running? I was running from – I started Little Athletics really, really early on, probably five or six years old. I did a couple of years of Little Athletics. Um, and my older brother and sister uh, were quite good good runners, and they're 10 years older than me. So at that time, they would have been 15, 16, 17, and they were kind of like state level. You know, I think my brother was state medalist a couple of times and cross country and all that sort of stuff. Um and then I started running properly again when I was about 12 or 13, little athletics again. And so from probably the age of 12 to 15, 16, I was quite heavily into middle distance running. So I was never, you know, some freak young athlete, but I kind of would make state for 1500 and um, 3K, things like that. Um, so after that, I kind of, I guess it might be a common story with young people in athletics, but I was going to the track every week and training pretty at a pretty high intensity. My brother was coaching me and going down and doing, you know, lactic sessions on a Tuesday and Thursday night. And um, I just got to a point where all my friends were playing basketball and I'd started to get into watching basketball. And um, it just, yeah, I kind of got burnt out, I think, a little bit um, with the middle distance running and, and switched over to basketball. And just looking at some photos uh, of you, you're a tall bloke as well. Like you'd uh, you'd have a pretty good frame for basketball, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, well, I wasn't when I was when I was running at that age. I was just sort of I was always above average height, but I was never uh, freakishly tall. And then I started playing basketball and ended up growing to six foot four. And my uh, the rest of my family is about five foot nine, five foot five foot ten. My brother is, so I don't know where that came from. Um, it was in the stars, I think. It just ended up kept growing and growing and growing and so basketball seemed like the right choice to be honest but um i regret it now i don't like to have many regrets but i kind of wonder what i what i would have gone on to do with with running i never would have obviously never would have been you know like australian rep or anything like that but i think i would have been a you know 15 minute mid 15 minute 5k runner and that sort of thing if i had kept running so um but it was what it was and i loved basketball and i got to a reasonable level with that kind of played like the equivalent of uh, reserve grade to MBL, yep. like Siebel. Um, but, yeah, I got I got to about the age of 22, 23 with that. And that's, that's where the sort of the strength training came into it as well. So I guess the combination of athletics and knowing the energy systems, I guess, that for, for athletics and even a bit of plyometrics. Um, my brother used to get me to do quite a bit of plyometrics. And then... Um, basketball, wanting to jump higher and being obsessed with being able to try and dunk and all that sort of stuff. I was always really, really into researching how to jump higher, how to get the fast twitch fibers working. And um, and then I was 
you know, playing basketball and I was still, I was quite skinny, so still built like a distance runner. So then I was trying to get big for a few years and I spent years and years and years in the gym trying to bulk up and put on size and, um, yes. So I, I, I did that until probably I was, uh, mid twenties, 20, sort of 26, 27. Um, and then kind of, I think it was, I think Ben St. Lawrence was saying it, um, recently I was talking to him and he said that, um, Craig Mottram, Craig Mottram's Commonwealth Games uh, performance sort of stirred him into running again. And it yeah, was. Yeah. I do actually, remember. I've heard him say that many times. Yeah, I remember sitting um, sitting at my brother's house watching it and, and just got, it just said tingles up my spine watching it. And I just thought, wow, like, I'm going to get back into running again. Um, and I just started jogging again with a couple of guys at work. So we'd go out at lunch and some of us would go to the gym together and then some days we'd go for a run and, you know, I don't know what I was running, but we probably went out for a 20-minute run at lunch and we were running 4-minute 10 kilometers or 4-minute 20 kilometers like when you don't know what you're doing and yeah. you just go run flat out for 20 minutes. And <laughs> do that four times a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess then I kind of thought, oh, I can still run okay. Like that's all right for someone who hasn't done any running for, for a long time. Um, and then that sort of just came and went and then came and went and then it came again and um, eventually just got back into it and thought all right i'm actually going to give this a crack and to be honest i think i started with the aim of trying to break 40 minutes for for 10k and you know and then it was can i get under an hour for the city to surf and then then i realized i could do that pretty comfortably and then i said oh i might try some track races and then one thing led to another and then i was trying to get down to about low four minutes for 1500 and um mid nines for three so again nothing by no means nothing elite but by then I was in my sort of early 30s and I thought oh I'm doing all right and I just I just loved it I just loved the competition again and the nerves before the race and the anxiety and just putting all the hard work and yeah the the training meeting new people so you know at a later stage of life all of a sudden I was training with these new people that I, I didn't know and um in at training groups and things like that so yeah it's just gone on from there and I've met if I look at my network of friends now it's just completely different to what it was you know, six, seven years ago, so. Yeah, you can hear the love for it in your voice. Like, it's a, it's a good story in a way, and I wonder if you did train hard through those you know, late teens and early 20s if you if you would have burned out and kind of given it away and ended up in a whole different crowd now in your mid-30s. Yeah, it's funny. It's sliding doors. It's, yeah. Who would know? But all I know is right now it's it's actually nice. I know I would have never been that, you know, at that level. Like, you've either got that or you don't. So... I'm quite happy to have something at this stage of my life that I can still do. I'm still improving. Like I'm 37 and I've just run, you know, a 20 second PB for 5k. So it's, I'm still tinkering with training and trying new things. And, you know, I've put my mileage up recently and I've realized, Oh wow. <laughs> now I'm, I'm pushing the, uh, pushing the mileage up a bit and using the Sean Crichton approach. Thanks to your little uh, podcast. Yeah. Doing my easy miles easy. And, um, only two hard sessions a week kind of thing and all of a sudden my yeah my running has just gone up up a gear so um yeah it's nice having that at this stage of life to be able to just focus on something and have some competition and be excited about something like that reminds you of being kid again i think yeah yeah you can, yeah you can hear it in your voice like it sounds i'm always jealous i'm like oh i need to get get my kind of extra love back for the sport again but when you're saying um like you're starting to research all these things like at that stage was it your profession or were you just um coming home and excited and passionate about it and kind of like your little side hustle no nah, because that was that was early that was 
I was doing plyometrics and so I would have done, you know, once a week at athletics training with my brother, he'd get me to do, you know, frog jumps and bounds and all that sort of stuff. And then um, started, you know, playing basketball and watching basketball. And um, I'd just start looking that stuff up. I'd just start researching, well, you know, how do you increase your vertical leap? And um, and I was just, I've always been obsessed with things when it comes to sport and training. Like I, I remember um, I had a part-time job at the uh, local, I won't say, names the chicken store the local fried chicken store yeah. um that was like my first job when i was 15 or 16 and i can i can really vividly remember i'd have a shift from like 6 to 9 p.m or 9 30 or something and I, this was out at penrith and i'd walk home and on the way home um it'd be pitch black and i'd be walking across this massive uh, couple of fields area called jamison park and i'd pull off the work boots and I'd stop and I'd start doing plyometrics at, you know, 9.30 at night in the middle of the park in the pitch black and I'd be doing frog jumps and bounds and hops and just trying out all these different methods to try and improve my uh, my jumping. And so I just always had that, I don't know, just love for that sort, of, that sort of stuff. Like I liked doing the sports science stuff at school. They were my favorite subjects, the only ones I really listened to. So, um, and, then, and then, like I said, I, I went to a read level with basketball and I think one of my mates um, and I we worked together as well and played basketball together and we started going to the gym a lot at lunch and um, yeah just sort of self-taught with that stuff and then he actually started doing a personal training personal training course and said oh you should do it you'd love it and I kind of armed an art about it because I'm not really I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm an outgoing like I'm not an extrovert mm. so the whole thought of working with clients and meeting new people and like going from one person to another every hour of the day, it was really quite intimidating for me. Um, but I kind of, I got over that. And from that point on, really, I think in my life, it's that was like a big, a big change for me because I realized I could overcome, like I overcame that big hurdle for me. And since then, I've just been able to keep sort of doing those little, those things that when I'm scared of something, I just go, why, why are you scared of doing this? Is it because you don't want to do it or is it because you're scared of what might happen if you do? And I ask myself that now every time I'm kind of challenged and, um, yeah, since, so since that moment, that's kind of been a bit of a, bit of a spark. Yeah. And, and is that the only strategy you put in place? Like asking yourself those questions or like what else? Cause there's a lot of people, I'm a bit the same, like. Uh, I think I've said it on one of the podcasts before that you know, it takes a lot of guts for me sometimes and sometimes I'm cacking myself when the Skype call's ringing and kind of once I get going, I'm all good. But um, yeah, sometimes it's a bit daunting to have conversations with new people and things like that. But what other strategies were you kind of putting in place to – because it is, a, yeah, I can imagine like yelling at people in parks and trying to encourage them with that PT stuff can be – well, it's quite out there. Well, it's, it's funny you said what you just said because – Ten minutes before we we started talking, I was getting a little bit anxious about it. And my wife, I was getting the shits at my wife um, <laughs> for no reason. Just yeah, I was anxious. Uh, done that before, yeah. <laughs> and um, I thought, why am I anxious? And then yeah, I did have that conscious thought of, you're nervous about this. And then I thought, I wonder if Brady gets nervous when he has to speak to you know like elite level runners and and things like that. So it's funny you say that. Um, Oh, mate, just to touch on that for a second, when we had Ross Murray on last week on Inside yeah. Running, like the first international guest, and like I knew he's an Olympian and kind of had seen him at Falls Creek training before and hardly had spoken to him. And yeah, we were on a lockdown here. Like there was no even like Carly going on Netflix or using the internet. Like we could not stuff this up. And yeah, everything had to be perfect. I was so on edge before that one. But once you get going, it's fine. Oh, he was just a lad, too. Yeah. He was- 
It was full of beans. It was good. I think once you start to like, it's always in the guest kind of um, ballpark, I guess. Like if if they give you nothing, then you got to start getting nervous because it becomes hard work for you to trigger the conversation. But yeah, it's um it's so much on the depending on who you're talking to. Um. Yeah, that's true. But with yeah, so what uh, what we're saying about the personal training. So yeah, I did get nervous, but then it made me kind of realize over time that you just be yourself and it's okay and mm. people will either like you or not like you and that's their choice as long as you're doing the right thing and and your intentions are good then like yeah it it, it just worked out and I didn't have to be that guy as you said that was yelling at them in the park and being someone I'm not I just had to be myself and put effort into learning for them and and giving them advice and um you know, putting research into my methods and explaining why we're doing things, and and then that's all I do, and that's that's what I fill my sessions with. I don't fill it with yelling at people and trying to pump them up because I kind of, I guess I believe that most people should you should be motivated enough to get in and do the work. I'm just there to kind of guide you and give you advice, and I guess that's my yeah my philosophy with that. Yeah, because there's some misconceptions around as being a PT in general, isn't there? Oh, for sure. Every time I say to someone, I'm a PT, I kind of get this lump in my throat. And go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PT, but I do, you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach as well for athletes, and I'm also a qualified teacher. Like, I kind of have to, I feel like I have to justify myself because of that stereotype. It's, uh, but it's true. It's and why there. is that there, though? Like, is it because the kind of, I don't know, like, I guess someone, some people would say, like, the meathead kind of like, um, you know, those people yelling at people in the park are kind of big kind of buff guys or is it because – because tell me about like the training. Like some people often say that, you know, it's so easy to become a PT and it's like an internet course and then all of a sudden you're telling people uh, what they need to do and not do with their bodies. Oh, many stories about that because I <clears> – <throat> I'm not going to pretend – like I did I did one of those courses. I did uh, like a six-month course or whatever it was through um, Australian Institute of Fitness to, to get started. And when I did that, I went in with the background that I've already explained to you. Mm. So I knew about, you know, periodization and I knew how to put, you know, they'd get you to do things for assignments like put together a a plan for someone who wants to um, do the city to surf or whatever it is. And so I went in there with that background, but still thinking and assuming that that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be, you know, enough to get me by. I've got to learn more on top of that. And, you know, I did. Um, But... But there's some people that go through those courses and say there's – I shouldn't bag people out, but I'll be honest. There was, if there was 30 people in my class, I'd say that three or four of them were <clears throat> were worth their, worth their money. Mm. Like they knew what they were doing and they walked in and they had like their, their nutrition down pat. They'd walk in and they'd have – you know, all their food ready, ready made for dinner and lunch, and they'd pull that out. And when you talk about training, they just they knew their stuff. And then there was, you know, twenty five or twenty six people who had just finished their their bar bar course, their RSA, and and then they just finished their security guard course, and then they'd moved <laughs> on to this. Next. And, and you're just looking at them, and you're going through practical lessons, and <laughs> they just had like really no idea. Like people that you just think, what are you? How did you come up with this? <laughs> like, yeah. why could be a personal trainer? And they're the people that, it, yeah, I think those people are the people that give it a bad name because yeah. because they let those people pass. 
Yeah, so it's that system that lets those people pass in the first place as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's just, I mean, and you know, I've finished my um, uni degree, um, human human movement, health education as well. And, and you know, it's nowhere near as bad. Like everyone in those courses can obviously write an essay and are smart enough to get there in the first place. But it's all about money at the end of the day. They're just trying to pump people through and mm. get the dollars and, and they'll do anything it takes to, to get people through. So um, obviously a million times worse at these private institutes and stuff like that but uh yeah and then the whole the meathead thing is just you've got all these different types of training now you've got the crossfits and there's some new orange thing and people just people love to buy into <laughs> buy into a brand and they love to buy into it it's it's the group thing as well which i guess we understand because we like that about about running the running community and it's they've got a group that they go to every day but some of the methods behind the madness just make no sense and I deal with it all the time. With I go and take a group class, and I'll have people tell me that, oh, I went and did CrossFit on Monday, and I did this and I did that, and um, and then you see them do, like I see them do a squat, and they can barely squat properly, but then they're doing a CrossFit class where you have to do 20, 20 box jumps in thirty seconds, and then you have to do ten Olympic lifts, and then and you just go, <laughs> how does this make sense? <laughs> like it just, it doesn't make sense. But you try and talk sense into people and talk about their philosophies behind things and why that doesn't make sense and why you should only do this many jumps and then you should have a lot of rest and this is how your system works and someone like you like a, a punter shouldn't be doing that type of high intensity training once some people do it twice a day like you just go and then they come to you two weeks later and say my shoulder's done and yeah. I, think it was, I think it was from the boxing we did <laughs> mm, yeah. I don't know that it was the boxing we did for, for 10 minutes so yeah, I think yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about trainers and um, the whole bulking up thing as well, you know. Yeah, we've just got one of those. I won't name the name, but I reckon you'll know it pretty quick. One of those uh, gyms started in town and it's a certain amount of time and people are signing up and just loving it. I don't know how sustainable it's going to be, but they'll go to the class in the morning and then go to the class at night and um, just yep. smash themselves and then get on social media because they'll become like an influencer because they get their membership cheaper if they like put a million yep. posts on every single day of the week. And I'm just like, as a guy who gets up at 5am and has been grinding out for the last six years, it does your head in when you start. I've had to block so many people in the last three weeks on Facebook just because I'm sick because I'm putting up all this rubbish about this certain gym. Yeah. Yeah, it does my head in as yeah, well. But at the same time, I don't want to sound negative. So you know, at least... Yeah, it's great they're doing it. We're out there doing something, yeah. and you know, it's it's social as well. And at this, people want to have fun. Mm. You know, it, it's not just about the exercise. People want to go and and have an experience, I guess. Yeah. So they don't want to know the science. So that's something that I've got to also be wary of and say, well, you know, they don't want to hear hear me raving on about <laughs> how long they should rest for and the ratio of work to rest when they're doing powerful stuff and working their ATP PC system and all this stuff they just look at me and go what <laughs> so what's the you know you could, just got to let them exercise and get on with it and they'll figure it out eventually hopefully and they'll uh, yeah yeah the good thing is that people listening to this and yeah including myself we all want to know the science behind it as well like we've invested and I think um, you know when you're already putting in so many hours a week running if there is something we should be doing as well we're, uh, we're we've bought in straight away yeah 
So yeah. let's go back to you though. Like, so you've you've started this PT course, and then we're working with runners and like rubbing shoulders with like the Benny Saint and the Matt Hudson and those kind of guys at this stage. No, no, this was well before that. So this was, <clears throat> yeah, this was this was well before that. So I just got into that and started working at the gym and um, was just 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 training people generally for either weight loss or muscle gain and just your your normal sort of general public. Um, and then once I got into the running and joined a few groups. Then I started realizing, okay, well, you know, do I do I keep doing my strength training or do I block that out completely with um, with the running? And I really I, I noticed that not many people were doing strength training at all, and so I just thought, let's oh, start researching this a bit and see who does what in the elite kind of area. And um, one of the only people that was really doing it was um, was Ben was Benny, and he was at the time training with Sweat. Um, in Sydney and I with uh, Sean Williams and I sort of went down to that group with my brother and we started running with them um, and yeah for a long time I, I was doing it myself and wanted to kind of get out there and start putting it to people and then um, one of my mates um, for, also from running uh, uh, Ben Liddy yeah coaching now isn't he yeah yeah he's, so he's coaching all these guys they've got uh, the Central Performance um, Track Club quite a a lot of very talented young up and coming sort of middle distance runners and a few 5k runners there as well um i started sort of training with him and then he was interested in getting some of his guys to do some strength work with me and um so that that just it all just went from there so i was training myself and a bit with my brother and um obviously had like my business with all my other clients and then yeah so those guys started coming in and um and while i clearly like you know i knew what I was doing I'd done all the research and all that sort of thing it's also been a learning curve along the way as you do with everything in life you just sort of keep you try something for a while and you think at the time that it's you know perfect and it's the right thing to do and then you read more and you read more and you read more and you go all right well I'll try this and I try and kind of always try things on myself as well and see how they work and how the body responds and never do anything too um, pretty conservative. Like I never do anything too extreme with people. Right? Runners can be pretty fragile creatures. <laughs> so, mm. so I try and hold back most of the time, you know. So like for example, in saying that, um, most of the books you know I've read and the research from athletic coaches and strength and condition coaches says, you know, for with plyometrics you shouldn't do any more than sort of you know, Avern Gambetta's a pretty well-known name. He says you shouldn't do any more than 150 um, contacts in a plyometric session. So times you've hit the ground, I won't go anywhere near that. So if I do any sort of plyometrics with, with my runners, I just I use the time in the gym to focus on the quality of the movement and get them to sort of understand and feel, you know, their ankles, their feet how they should land teach them how to land first and then teach them how to do a, a jump and land and then teach them how to do a couple of consecutive jumps and and just try and work their their elasticity and things like that so then when they go and do their their drills at training and if they do any plyometrics outside of the gym which middle distance runners i, I think should be doing um then they know how to do them properly mm. so i just figure i may as well use that time in the gym to to teach them and educate them a little bit and then they can take it outside and their coaches can do what they want with it yeah, why do you think, like, going back to that comment you made about people, you know, especially the top elite guys not doing it, like, has that been influenced because of what we've done in the past? Or, like, why do you think, yeah, people weren't implementing that already? Why they weren't? Yeah. Just, like, do you think, because of the, just sorry. the misnomers we were talking about before. I yeah. think I, I had them myself 10 years ago. I, I 
I think you don't associate going into a gym, picking up heavy weights, <laughs> squatting, deadlifting. I, I, it, it makes sense to me that I can see how people look at that and go, that's got nothing to do with running because people think about the the physiological side and the metabolic cost of running. They think about improving the heart and the lungs and mitochondrial density and all that sort of stuff, which doesn't come from the gym. But there's also a lot of other biomechanical factors that, that are involved in running that people, I don't think they really appreciate. I think it, it kind of irks me a bit when I hear people say things like, it's just putting one foot in front of the other. You just got to work harder and have the lungs and work on your endurance. And it's, it, it's not quite that simple. Yeah, time on your feet, just spend and, the time on the feet, yeah. Yeah, like, yes, that is going to, that's, that's the main thing. That's, you know, that's 95% of it. You've you got to get out there and you've got to run. But if you want to run for longer without getting injured and you want to run more efficiently, you know, it's, you look at cyclists and even recreational cyclists and um, the amount of, the amount of money they'll spend on this, you know, like, the smallest little gadget that costs them thousands of dollars that's going to make them, you know, 1% faster maybe, you know. But you tell someone to do strength training and it's probably going to make them, you know, 4 or 5% better. But they, they'll irk at that. They'll think, oh, it's going to bulk me up. I'm going to get heavy. I'm yeah. going to slow down. It's going to time out for my training session. Don't have the time, but I just did two hours of running today. Like it's stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're preaching to the right guy here. This is that. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is spot on. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. So, where do we go next? I suppose. So, did you start seeing? It must have been an exciting time, like working with these guys and starting to see like improvements come along and things that you were implementing in their training. Like, it must have been quite re- rewarding. Yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been reinvigorating for me. Yeah. So like it's completely changed my, my business model and my, like my client base. And, um, it's, I, I'm working, I've, I feel guilty because sometimes almost because I'm just, just hanging around with friends. It's like, it's like listening to you guys talk when you do your, your inside running podcast and, you know, guys just come into the gym and sometimes I'll get a couple of them coming in at a time on a, um, most, a lot of them come in on a Sunday afternoon after their long run in the morning. And, you know, they come in one after the other and the hour just goes by so quickly and we're talking about how your training was that week and what you eat today and, oh, did you see this runner did this and this runner did that? And, you know, and then all of a sudden the session's done and it's just, it's been, yeah, it's so fun. It's just extended my my career in this industry, I think, you yeah, know, quite a lot. And, I, yeah, hopefully I can do it for the rest of my life. Because you could have easily went in a different direction with a PT and stuff too couldn't you like you know to helping the people lose weight and like wouldn't that be a much bigger market and almost an easier market to put yourself in than kind of the running world oh yeah i mean and financially yep those people pay more (laughs) yeah that's what i was kind of into that yeah at the end of the day those people you know i i don't even i don't really look at what people charge but i do know what some gyms charge for pt now for a cookie cutter you know program what um, is it? It helps out because a lot of the listeners would have no understanding of that kind of ballpark figure. I last time I checked it, I'm not going to name gyms, but one gym that does personal training, it was like 120 bucks an hour for an hour. 120 bucks for an hour, and that's generally for a trainer. That's you know, the people don't last long there. They're, you know, six months to 12 months, and so they're, they're very limited with their knowledge. Um, that's okay though. Everyone goes through that stage of their career, but. 
yeah, people are paying $120 an hour for that. But again, it's it's the the environment and of the place, and they, they feel like they're part of a community and da da da. But I guess yeah. So I with those people, if I did eight hours of that a day, <laughs> you can imagine I'd I could earn quite a bit of money. But it's it doesn't. Um, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm passionate about helping people lose weight, but I'm not as passionate about making. It sounds corny, but I'm not that passionate about making money. Like that doesn't drive me enough to want to do that. Whereas I can get up every day and can't wait to get to work, and I can't, I can't wait to see these running guys and watch them improve and be part of be part of their path in some small way. And and when I'm not with them training them and I'm coming up with their next program, I'm, I get really excited about it and. You know, what do they need to do next? What are their weaknesses? What are some other exercises? What are the other, you know, what are the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world doing? What's changed? And I get really excited about, you know, researching that stuff and putting it together and st- starting a new program with someone. And uh, you quickly, you know, I quickly realize that, that that's what's going to give me longevity and keep me going um, as opposed to just doing it, doing it for money because yeah. I'm not driven by it. Money. Yeah, I've spoken about it with a few people on the podcast and, and even like the whole creation of the podcast, the same thing, kind of do it on a day off work and lose a day worth of wages, but um, have so much fun doing it. It's kind of like, yeah, you'd rather be chasing your passions and things like that and being excited about it than, yeah, looking at the clock at work, waiting for the, the time to go by. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's it. <laughs> In so a right, yeah, so righty-o, So what do we need to be doing? Like where understanding that a lot of the audience are, are starting from scratch here where do people start uh where i would start in terms of what i want to what i would want to say is that people need to understand why why they need to do it what what they're going to get out of it um before telling them just to do it i think that's probably the biggest problem to begin with um how, how it actually works and how it all interact intersects with each other and and impacts your running. So, yeah, benefit wise, you can't you can't improve your rate of force development. You can't do that without lifting decent weights. You're not going to go straight into a gym and start doing that. If you're a you know 50 kilo skinny distance runner, you need to learn technique and all that sort of stuff first. But the benefit is you can improve how much force you can put into the ground. Okay, for less energy, the stronger you get, the more force you get back out of the ground, right? That's basic physics. That's going to improve your running economy. And that's what every study that's studied weights with distance runners has shown, that it improves. The number one thing it does is it improves your economy, so bang for buck. So, you know, if you're working at a – if you're working max um, and you're putting, you know, whatever it is, force into the ground and then – you're then stronger and you're working at the same rate, you're going to be putting more force into the ground and getting more force back. And it might be a microscopic change, but it's still running is about like 180 steps a minute times however long you're running for. So if two two hours and 20 minutes for you guys. Like if, if, if you're improving your, your how many steps you're getting out a minute and how much length you're getting out of each stride at 180 steps a minute for two and a half hours, mm-hmm. that's going to be something at the end of a race right oh for sure so it's as simple as that in terms of of force right then you're gonna you're gonna get the hormonal benefit from lifting weights which is one big thing which i think people don't get so the last thing you want to do after a run is go and hit the gym again everyone's knackered you want to go home and sit on the couch and eat and recover and get ready for your next session um 
but every you know case case study again, Matt Hudson, um, him and his wife come in every Sunday. You know they might do twenty or thirty. 35Ks on a Sunday morning, they go home, they have a rest, they come back in in the afternoon, week in, week out, and they neither of them have been injured for two, two and a half years. And they're training big Ks, and they don't want to, you know, they don't feel like coming into the gym. You can see they drag themselves in, but guaranteed after pretty much every session, they walk away and they go, oh, I feel so much better now. Mm. And is that that main purpose of that one after you've ran, like the hormonal stuff? No, that's just an, that's just one of the benefits. I mean, the main benefit again is just continuing to build your strength. But you're going to recover so much better for your next session. So if your next hard session is not till the, the Tuesday, by Tuesday you're going to be bouncing around again. Like you, it's you get the testosterone boost, the growth hormone growth hormone boost, um, and that's going to improve recovery throughout the body. So soft tissue, bones, everything. Like you're going to get your tendons get stronger. Therefore, less injuries. And the main thing with running, and I've heard it on this show, I've heard it on everything I've read, the key to running, being a better runner, is being able to run more and for a longer period of time, right? Mm, yeah, 100%. You can put five years of running together and slowly progress, chip away at it, just get better and better and better and not have a six-month layoff every 12 months, whatever it is, which is I, I was getting that before I started doing the strength training. I was busted getting every tendon injury, injury under the sun and now I'm running 20Ks a week more and like absolutely fine, just tolerating it, you know, no problems and, I'm, and I, just, I just do two weight sessions a week. I get in there, get it done, do a couple of exercises, lift heavy, lift low reps and that's all I do. Like it's... And it's it's not really rocket science, but I think, and I'll, I'll explain throughout this interview, like how you should sort of structure a session, um, how you should progress your exercises, and what kind of things you're looking out for. Um, but yeah, and then get the whole getting, you're not going to get big. The the benefit you get from when you lift heavy, it's a it's a nervous system, it's a neurological response. So I know myself from my from my own training, I'm a I'm naturally an ectomorph, like a skinny, skinny, tall, skinny runner, greyhound guy. Yeah. Took me forever. Okay. This is when I wasn't running. And this isn't everyone. This is just me. But to get big, I had to eat mammoth amounts of food. Like you have to, like I had to eat so much food. It was, it was harder than the training itself to fit it all, to fit it all in. Like getting 30 grams of protein in every couple of hours and, you know, a hundred grams of carbs every couple of hours and, like it's just it was so tough and over the space of it took years i probably put on i put on eight kilos of muscle to get to get bigger like eight ten kilos and that was with i wasn't doing any cardio i was doing weights four or five times a week and i was like smashing myself in the gym that's how you get big that's that's how you hypertrophy is training yourself in the gym to absolute fatigue so the key word is failure. So you, you lift, you, say you're doing bench press or something, you're going slow, you, you're really expend, like t- spending time under tension for you know three seconds up, three seconds down, and you do that for 12 reps or as many reps as you can until you get to that last rep and you need help and someone helps you up for one and they might help you up you know, for the next one and then you're, you're stuffed and you have a pretty short rest and you go again and you do that day after day you work individual muscle groups and and that's how you get that's how you try and get big and that's yeah. how i had to work to get big and that was to put on 
eight to ten kilos after several several years. It was so hard. So for strength training for running, it's similar to any sort of athletic training. A lot of people don't want to get bulky. You you do three, four, five reps, right? You're lifting a heavy weight and you're trying to move it quickly. So the intention is to move the bar quickly. Even if it's not moving quickly, you're looking at someone, you're going, it's not moving that fast. You know, it's not like a clean and jerk. They're just, they're trying to move, push that bar quickly. Okay. Control on the way down, quickly push it up hard again on the way up. You're getting the stimulus of the nervous system response after three, four reps. You put the weight down. That's it. You have two, three minutes rest, lots of rest in between. You might do a, an accessory exercise in between for your core or something, but in between each set of those exercises, you have a rest. So you might do three sets of five or six reps with a heavy weight, but you get to that fifth or sixth rep, and you know if you had to, you could have done another two or three. So I always say to my clients, two in the tank. You've always got two in the tank at the end. We're not training into fatigue and to failure. It's not like your, your track sessions. Train like a sprinter does on the track when you're mm-hmm. in the gym as a distance runner, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you see the sprint walking around and they spend most of the time walking, walking around. around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they'll do five seconds of work and then walk around for 10 minutes. That's what you've got to do in the gym. Yeah. Well, it's a bit similar to Sean Crichton. Like, you never go to race pace on, you know, in training. Like, it's kind of, yeah, a kind of similar philosophy. So, yeah, I think that's the key thing that people have to get get sorted is that, you don't you don't get that muscle growth unless you really damage the muscle, and then you get that the um, ammonia and the the toxic sort of response in your muscles. That's when your body has to repair it. It builds bigger, stronger fibers and more fibers and all that sort of stuff. So we're training neuromuscular efficiency, and then we can also train power so you get strong, and then you work on power. And then the other key component, and this all relates to to your running gait is the, the elasticity and the stiffness of the muscles and the tendons and things like that. So running is is phasic, in, if that makes sense. So you, your leg swings through, and that's like a rubber band. It's just naturally swinging through. You're not actually trying to – I mean, when you're running, you're really trying to push hard the whole time. A lot of the time, you're just rolling along, and it's, it's the stored energy, okay? So you're storing energy into your elastic bands, your tendons, and then they release the energy and you're, you're punching forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously a little bit of a concentric contraction, but most of it, if you look at studies, it's it's you hit the ground and your muscles are working in a large part, they're working isometrically. So your leg hits the ground and your, your quads, your hamstring stabilizes, they're working to, to stop and then they re- get that energy and it releases and then you spring forward, okay? So it's eccentric, as you go to approach the ground, your, your muscles lengthening, so like your hamstrings lengthening as you go to touch the ground, and then the muscles' capacity to store energy, that's where that's happening, and then it goes into the tendon, and then it releases it, <clears throat> you fire your muscles, and so on and so on and so on. So in the gym, I try and train in a similar way. So we'll do eccentric training, which is um, lengthening the muscle under tension. So you might do reps where you go really slowly on the way down, Okay, so that's increasing the capacity to, to store energy. And then we might do isometric training, which is where you hold things. So you'll hold, you'll push it against the bar or you'll hold a position um, and you'll hold it for you know, a period of time. And that's strengthening the tendons and the muscles around the tendons. And then you'll do concentric training, which is the, the, the uh, shortening of the, 
the muscle when you're exploding. So the, when you come up from a squat, that's the concentric phase kind of thing. So you put all those movements together and over time, that's what's going to sort of improve your actual your biomechanical <clears throat> aspect of running. The wire's so, pretty – yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, keep going. I was just going to say, and that's – if you look at whenever you get an injury, what, what does the physio get you to do? Yeah. <laughs> they get you to do eccentric calf raises yeah. and then isometric calf raises and eccentric hamstring bridges and then isometric hamstring um, exercises. Do you know what I mean? So – I've also figured out through my own injuries, learning all this stuff as I go from good sports doctors and physios and um, that sort of stuff that it's kind of, you know, pre- preparing for that rather than reacting to it, include that in the training. So tr- use those exercises as part of their prep, get them to do eccentric and isometric exercises all the time so we prevent them getting those Achilles injuries and those hamstring injuries. And I think, again, tooting my own horn I guess is going back to that's that's the positive thing about me being a runner myself and going through all those injuries I kind of understand that mm. so that helps quite a lot yeah 100% and that's why I wanted to get you on as well because you you've got yeah two feet in the one kind of uh, circle a bit like you you know your stuff um so like that's pretty convincing and I know I've I had Cody Williams and my physio mate on before and he's kind of told me bits and pieces about that kind of stuff but that's super convincing like you know it's going to improve your running economy you're going to get that hormonal response the injury prevention's there and you're going to recover better like it almost um sounds too good to be true but like what's the next step step now i guess that you've convinced us with the why the next step is to get in there and get it done and just it's the same as i'd say to a punter coming in for for weight loss, get started. Yeah. Just and, and and getting started means do something that you know. It's not too much time. You'll get it done twice a week. Learn some learn some little exercises that you can incorporate. You know, before your runs, after your runs. If you're not going to get into the gym twice a week, so for example, <clears throat> you might. I get some people to just make sure before they run they'll do single leg glute bridges. They'll get the little um elastic mini bands out and do some do some sidewalks strengthen glute medius turn all those stabilizer muscle groups on you're not going to get that much stronger from doing a couple of those before you run but it switches things on and then if you want to do turn those into strength exercises and actually work a bit harder you can do them do them after you run as well so you could start with something as simple as and i probably would get you to start with just bodyweight exercises just learning learning the movements making sure you're doing the movements right, making sure that you're working different movements. So you're doing a hinge movement, which is, you know, like a deadlift, like your hamstrings and your glutes and working your backside of your body, so your posterior chain. And then you're, you're also doing exercises at the end so for capacity and conditioning for your ankles and your calves and your feet and your hips and, and things like that. Uh, starting simple, just, mm. just starting with like maybe, a, you know, uh, like not maybe not a circuit circuit would be fine I'm sure but I would say like someone who's coming to me recently and they haven't done anything for a while I go back to square one and I go all right we're going to do a lot of different exercises like we might do six six different exercises in one session um, and with those exercises we're only going to do two sets of each of them and we're just going to relearn all the movements again which is probably what I would get you to do so you might do you know two sets of 10 um, body weight squats you might do two sets of 10 hamstring curls, 
with the Swiss ball. He might do two sets of 10 kettlebell deadlifts, um, two sets of 10 uh, single leg bridges, you know, something like that. Yep. And you know my background as well. And would that stuff work for every one of the listeners here? Like if they were to do that twice twice a week, what kind of days of the week would that look like? Do you do that after your session or your long run or how's Uh, it timetabled? That is, uh, depends depends what your lifestyle is like. So the textbook answer is do it after your sessions. Yep. So, and I've seen, um, I've seen that the you know the MTC guys and those guys that put their weight sessions and things up on social media. They do that. It's you, you want to if you can if you're doing a track session. You ideally in the perfect world you get your track session done nice and early in the day, and then you later in the day or after that session you get into the gym and you do your your 40 minutes 45 minutes of weights. And that might just it might just be a warm up and then three exercises. You might do a set of squats. You know, a set of deadlifts and and some single leg work, um, and that way you're getting that. Go back to the hormonal stuff again. Mm. So you've done your hard track session. Running is catabolic, so running breaks your body down. Okay, you, then you go into the gym. That's anabolic. It's going to build your body back up. It's going to set the process in motion, set the wheels in motion, that your body's going to rec- start recovering. Okay, it's going to increase the uptake of protein, amino acids, and all that sort of stuff once you get your food in after the session, growth hormone, testosterone, all that, go home, have a good sleep. And then the next day, so you've done that on Sunday after your long run maybe, and then Monday you have a nice easy day, get out for your, your double or your you know your easy shuffle. Um, and then Tuesday, you're ready to go again. You've had 48 hours, well and truly recovered. Whereas if you do it on the in-between days, you're kind of stacking on another hard session, if that makes sense. Mm, it's yeah, not as hard. 100%. But you're doing like a track session and you, you're sore and tired from that the next day and then you're doing a gym session and then you've got your track session again on Tuesday. Like it's it's kind of compounding it. Some people have to do that. And, and midweek sessions generally for people. So um, Matt and Mason um, come in on Wednesdays and I'll never train them too hard on a Wednesday in between the Tuesday and Thursday sessions that they do. Um, but on Sunday we'll go pretty hard knowing that they've got the, the Monday off to recover. So ideally, okay, going back to point one, ideally you want to do it on the same day as your hard session. Yeah. Twice a week. Um, and you can do those other little exercises in between. So I'm an old dude. So before every run, I spend about 20 minutes doing exercises. I get up, I foam roll, I do some hamstring work. I do some glute work, get the ankles rolling, just do calf raises, just get everything firing. And I think that stuff contributes as well. To, to helping you stay injury free and, and building a little bit of strength in those in conditioning in those little muscle groups, um, but you know otherwise you're just going to do it where you can. Like yeah. it's life's busy and you know mo- most of my people don't have the the luxury of being able to train in the morning and then come back to the gym in the afternoon and they just got to get it done where they can get it done. So they do come in on Wednesday in between sessions and. Uh, it's whatever fits your lifestyle, and going back to what I said before, it's got to be doable. So, whenever, whenever's, whatever's easiest for you to get in and actually get to the gym and do it, well, then that's the day you've got to get it done. Yeah, I'm going to be selfish here, mate, for two seconds and try and fit it to my timetable. But if I don't work on a Tuesday, that's my kind of hard training day. Am I better to bang the session out in the morning and then get in my car and go straight to the gym, or go home, have some lunch, breakfast, whatever, sit around for a while, and then do it at 4:30 in the afternoon? Oh, that, look, that's much of a muchness. I'd probably say just just get it done. Just get it done, okay, yeah. But it, but see how you respond. 
It's yeah, just, right. Bad. If you try that and you just can't handle it and you don't like it, try it later in the day. Yeah. But that's perfect for you if you've got the Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, I've got the – yeah, wow. That's why that's I took it to do all these one percenters and I haven't bloody done any of them. I've done a few, but uh, yeah, I'm, I've got to get my ass in the gear as well. Yeah, wow, that's why I went in. 215 marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what, I looked at some of those studies and stuff. I'm like, that running economy, like, yeah, same VO2 max and stuff. You get your running economy sorted, you're, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. And I've had issues with, like, testosterone and stuff in the past as well. So it's like, yeah, it's no-brainer. It's 100%. I should be doing this stuff. Yeah, well, you pay 350 for a pair of shoes that make a 4% improvement. So. Yeah, pay that twice a year as well. Julian <laughs> doesn't even give me a discount. Like, I've still got to pay. Uh... No, nah, he does, actually. He, gives me, <laughs> he looks after me down there at Ballarat. But, yeah, it's, um, so back to that, maybe I might get you just to type up those you know, five or six exercises that people can do because I think that's also – and I live in a town where – I've spoke to the gym guys and stuff before, and they're just like, look, we don't really know we're running, and they're kind of in that kind of weight loss kind of world, and they kind of don't want to touch you because if they're the ones responsible for making you injured, um, that's kind of on them a bit. Oh, it's, it's just, but it's it's simple. Mm. You just want to do a bit of research into it, and I guess, I'm, I, guess I say it's simple, but I've had, I've had arguments with people even within the industry and people that train runners that they still believe in doing high reps and runners should be doing high reps and all this sort of stuff and it's when you you read the re- research and you read the textbooks and you understand it it just makes sense that why would you go into the gym and do three sets of 20 reps of something or 25 reps <laughs> like you already do that with your running you're already mm. out there building your endurance you don't need to build your endurance in the gym like i've said like that's not what you're in there to do you're in there to improve your economy through force development it's not yeah it's not it's not about endurance and and there are studies that say well if you do three sets of 20 reps there's been research that's shown that you do improve your strength and yeah yeah you do but why if you had the choice if someone held a piece of paper in front of you and said here's option one you can go into the gym and do three sets of five and improve your strength this much or you can go into the gym after your session you can do five sets of 20 into fatigue and you'll also improve your strength which one are you going to choose yeah for like, sure. it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me that you why people would still choose to do endurance reps but um yeah people are going to have their opinions especially I guess. if you just come off a track session or some you know 1k reps or something as well like you don't have the extra energy to be doing more no and it's it's a different system so it actually feels good it feels good to get in there and push some weight around and and you learn a new skill and your movement like your intermuscular development changes your coordination yeah it's it's just different so the last thing i'd want to do is then go into the gym and do another smash up session you know like smash yourself into the ground (laughs) it's the last thing you want more catabolic exercise so that's one thing that the listeners can look out for like doing doing a lot of uh more reps but less less weight are there any other kind of things they should be wary of um on that, you, when you're starting, like I said to you before, you will do sets where you're doing more reps than ideally and ultimately you will be doing because you have to build the skill and, and actually learn how to do the movement. And so then you will be doing, you know, three sets of 10 or 12 or whatever without much weight, just learning the movement. But um, so you want me to sort of what take you through how you would like structure a session and the reps and sets and all that sort of stuff? Mate, that'd be amazing, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so all right, I'll take you through an overview of a session first. So I'd walk into the gym, I'd jump, if, you, if you're not warmed up, jump on the bike for five minutes, spin the legs over at, you know, 75, 80 RPM on a, on a moderate gear, get the blood flowing, have a bit of a foam roll. Um, that's another thing that I think 
people struggle with doing properly, taking your time, spending a minute or so on each muscle group, really really getting in there and working those key areas like your glutes and your calves and your hammies. Um, get in there and spend five minutes on the foam roller um, and then do a bit of mobility and sort of prehab, pre-activation work. So I get people up doing some some walking, mobility exercises, knee hugs, walking lunges, movement prep, I guess you'd call it. So you're prepping yourself for the movements you, you're going to do during that session, just like you do when you run and you do all your, your plyometric type work. Um, so is I that do, when you've got the elastic band and stuff out then? Is that when you're doing kind of like the crab walk and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I do some of that, um, but not in. Again, you can utilize that in different ways. Like, like I said before, you can kind of you could get that elastic band out before the session and use it for activation and a warm up. So you might do like just one set or two sets just to get the glutes on. Okay. Uh, or if you if you want to use it, if they've got weak glute medius and you want to you want to really work on the strength of it, then I might throw that in the at the end of the session in the conditioning work which is your higher reps for your hips and your calves and some foot or ankle work if they need that, where they work on their weaknesses and they do actually push into a bit more fatigue and because you stabilize the muscles like your glute medius, et cetera. They like high repetitions. They, need, they do need a little bit of endurance. When I'm talking about the low, the low reps, I'm talking about your major muscle groups, like your prime movers, your, your quads and your hammies and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it depends how you use it. But I do get that out. So an example – Come in, get on the bike, do your foam rolling, get up, walk, walk around doing, you know, walking lunges, um, some squats, you know, body weight work like that, knee hugs, foot grabs, um, have a couple of short stretches, world's greatest stretch where you're in the plank position and you open your hand out to the side and then open to the other side. Um, spend five minutes doing that type of work. Million different exercises you can do, but that's an example. Um, then I'd get the, the mini band out. You might do some lateral glute work. You might do some forward forward walks with the glute with the band around your legs. Um, you might do a bit of the standing stuff where you're doing the hip extension and kicking the leg back, getting the glute max firing. Um, some things called bear crawls where you walk on your hands and feet yeah. in sort of primal position, get the core activated. Um, so again, no more than sort of five six minutes on that stuff. So there, you've already spent probably ten or fifteen minutes getting into it, right? Um, that, this is how I would run my session. Then from there, you always start with the most, um, not necessarily, I guess you wouldn't call it the most important. It is important, but the, the most volatile, the most injury risk sort of sort of work. So like you, you want to do your explosive high, quali- high quality work, like your plyometric work, then the power work, and then your max strength work in that kind of order. So yeah. I might get people, uh, some stuff I've been doing recently. Um, uh, do you, have you heard of Franz, Franz Bosch? No, I haven't. He's a really specific strength and conditioning guy for, for sprinters and runners. Um, so I'll get the guys out and I'll get them to do – I'll watch them do A skips and B skips and uh, straight leg bounds and things that you do in your running warm-up. Yep. So I might practice a bit of that. And then I'll get them to do that work if they're, if they're proficient in those movements. I'll get them to get a, a light plate like a even a stick over their head or hold a, hold a 2.5, a big plate over their head. And they'll work on doing those drills whilst having their hands – and arms taken out of the equation. So they've got to hold that plate above the head and then still try and do A skips just for like a 15, 20-meter distance and then get them to sort of understand their body and how their trunk works and how much their trunk rotates when they normally run and, and try and work on their mechanics a little bit. And they're also getting that plyometric response from the, the ankle stiffness and the calf complex and all that sort of stuff. So working on the quality of the movement. Um, I, I put that under the plyometric banner. As they get more and more experience in the gym, you know, a year, two years, three years, and you can start sort of doing more 
slightly more ballistic stuff if you're going to do any any of that stuff if their coach agrees with it um a bit of bounding or some frog jumps or some broad jumps um box jumps things like that uh, little hurdle jumps but again you'd only do a little bit of that so i'd only spend probably probably five five minutes doing that stuff so maybe one exercise um and it's all individualized depending on what they need so some people don't get to that level i don't trust the way they move they're not ready for it some people you know 800 meter runners explosive they're they're brilliant at it you see all types of people come in that can run great paces but their coordination and their mechanics are way different with and actually execute in, in a in a closed environment so um, get them to do plyometrics. So we go mobility, activation, plyometrics. And then if they're up to doing power work where the aim is to move something really quickly, um, that might be, if you're outdoors, you could do like a ball toss or if you're in a big gym with a high ceiling, like a standing, you know, where you stand in a sort of deadlift position and throw the ball behind your head, that sort of explosive work. Um, a, a, set, a couple of sets of box jumps, clean and clean, power cleans things like that so where you've got the barbell um down around your knee height flick it up get under it the olympic style sort of lifting work uh, might do one exercise like that when they're at that level so again mobility activation bit of plyometrics then a little bit of power work okay and then i'll hit at least one exercise where the first real strength exercise is a max a max strength exercise that's how i categorize it so they'll do a squat or they'll do a deadlift um, or they'll do like a Bulgarian split squat, which is the, the sort of lungy one where you've got your leg elevated on a step behind you or a box or whatever it is. Um, and that's where you do your heavy weight, your low reps, lots of rest in between the sets. So I might do three sets of, you know, we're aiming for three sets of six with two in the tank. So this is, you do a warm-up set, obviously, maybe two warm-up sets of the exercise, and then you get into it. You do two or three heavy sets, and it's a weight that they can get to six reps to and they feel like they're they're shifting and they're able to still keep up the quality of the movement they're shifting that weight the movement's good and if they had to they could probably do another another two reps that's the perfect weight for them that's that's how i do my max strength work two three minutes rest in between let that system totally recuperate okay endurance runners recover a little bit quicker so sometimes you know they can get away with 90 seconds to two minutes but you don't want to be doing that and then Runners do have the the habit I've seen with my guys that they they're ready to go again in 40 seconds and they, they want to go, but you, you haven't actually recovered. So the 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 way the the brain is sending signals and and activating and recruiting muscle fibers, it hasn't actually restored itself. Like you feel like you have, but you haven't. So you've got to wait two or three minutes for for all the lights to go off again in the house, and then you go bang and you turn all the lights on again. And that's, that's what you're doing with your max strength work. That's how I kind of describe it because um, you're trying to get every little fiber you can working. So I do a few sets of that. Um, so that's your max strength work. So I'll go back through it again. So you've got mobility, activation, plyometrics, power, and then your max strength work. And then by then you've probably done 30 minutes of work, 30, 35 minutes. So then I'll do a second exercise, which is generally um, a single leg, like a unilateral so two leg stuff is your bilateral, unilateral is your single leg work. So then I'll do something that you're not going to lift as heavy on, but we need to work on imbalances and things like that and getting that single leg stuff working right. And then you can see a lot of issues with people's hips and all that sort of stuff in those exercises. So then I might get them to do a set of lunges, uh, step-ups, um, Bulgarian split squats, whatever it is, a single leg exercise, um, single leg RDLs, like the single leg 
reach over touch your toes type exercise um and there's that's as far as i go with that because there's a million different exercises you can do like i can get them to do an rdl on the cable machine i can get them to do an rdl where they react and lift their leg up at the front like there's a million different varieties but that's you'd start with a heavy bilateral exercise and then you'd move to a unilateral single leg exercise for the next one um and then that that's pretty much the main component of the session and then you might do some conditioning work at the end where you throw in your core work so yes i will get people to do a few crunches and and they'll do planks side planks and things like that um but your core is worked way more when you do a squat or a lunge than it is when you do a plank or a crunch it's just that you feel that direct pain in your abdominal area so you feel like you're doing heaps of work but you're actually activating your core just as much when you're doing a squat or a deadlift or whatever it is even even just a bodyweight squat activates your core as much as doing a, a activity on a you know stabilizer ball or a swiss ball or whatever it is so and that's that's research based yeah, um, yeah. it's not my my opinion that's just what it is so you might want to do some stability exercises in there as well depending on the person's individual individual needs but I, I generally will put that at the end end of the session when they've got time to just you know they're under a bit of fatigue and they've got to work their stabilizers a bit more. But but thinking again back to the myths, thinking that you have to go into the gym and replicate running movements and um, hop up onto a bosu and balance the ball and all that sort of stuff. Go back to what I said about what you're trying to get out of strength training. It doesn't match it. Mm. It doesn't. You're not gonna you're not gonna create. How are you creating more force? How are you teaching your body? to put more force into the ground by standing on a balancing ball, holding a, holding a medicine ball and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're going to improve your, your ankle strength a little bit. So still do some of it, but it's not what you should be doing. You shouldn't be trying to replicate running movements and all that sort of stuff in the gym. You're wasting your time. You may as well do a dynamic warm up for 45 minutes. Mate, that last 15 minutes is gold. I was taking notes like flat out and then I was like, oh yeah, you're recording all this stuff. Like that, I don't know. <laughs> I find that that's the bit well, I've known it's good for me, but not knowing what to do, like that's the, yeah, thank you for giving that away because I know you're going to do this for a job and stuff and there's a whole lot of people that are going to download this and listen to that, like that, yeah, it's not. Information oh, free, mate. I, I've got, I, you can get, it's just knowing where to look, like, you know, I've got all the right books and, you know, watch the right things and, but that's the skill in itself, like other people don't know where to look and, and there's mm. so much, if you look at something on YouTube, you know, if you're not educated and you don't know what you're actually looking for and you can't tell, you know, you can't tell the bullshit from the real deal, then you are going to be confused and bombarded with misinformation and, it, you know, it drives you, drives you nuts. But that's, that's the most important thing is that's how you structure a session and that's how you structure a session for strength and conditioning in general. Like that's just strength and conditioning. Like that's how, that's how you train, you know, an AFL player or a rugby league player if you're putting a session together. They might do different types of reps and sets and different rest periods and things but you'd always do it in pretty much that order yeah so you'd always get the the powerful stuff out of the way the high the stuff that needs a lot of quality involved and then you do the heavy stuff and then you do the conditioning work so yeah that's 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 a simple way of kind of you know explaining the structure of it um and as i said the actual exercises themselves well there's a million different progressions and versions of planks and versions of squats and using you know using bands so you can i've discovered over the over time that runners who um when you're developing power towards the end of a cycle 
um, and they've got their strength up. I like to add um, resistance bands to the end of the bar. So you'll tie the bands down to the ground um, and then tie them up onto the either end of the barbell so that the resistance – because if you think about a squat, right, put yourself in a squat position, you've got the bar on your back, you're lifting it up from the ground. When's the hardest part of the movement? To get it off – yeah, I don't know. You're talking to a guy who knows nothing about this, but yeah. It's the bottom of the movement, right? That's not really running specific because our concentric contraction is at the top end of a squat. It's that last – 10% of the movement, right? So it's when, you, when you're almost at the top and standing up again, those last little bits of the, are the muscles, that that's when you're firing your muscles to run, so your glutes and your calves and all that sort of stuff. So if you tie resistance bands onto the bar and they're tied onto the ground and you do a squat, that then makes sure that the resistance is actually increasing yeah, towards right. the top. As, so as you're accelerating, the resistance is increasing, and that's – that's something that runners want. So that's another thing you can include and progress to. Um, but yeah, again, that's probably something that's it's a little bit more advanced as other techniques I was talking before about eccentric and isometric um, contractions. But it's very important. So once you get through your basic stuff and you spend six months doing all your basic lifting and then you start lifting a little bit heavier and, and you've reached a bit of a plateau because you will plateau just like you do with your training, well then you add something else in and you make it a little bit tougher, a little bit more challenging and then you do that for a few months and you get used to that and then cycle through something else. Yeah, awesome, mate. And like do you do a cool down and stuff from this? Like do you get on the bike for five minutes and stuff at the end or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll finish the the, the strength work and then do a bit of conditioning work and core work. Um, like I said, that's when you do your, your abs. But I prefer to call it trunk work. So you're working on your trunk because that's the bit where the energy transfers through the body. Um, and that wants, You want to teach that how to be really stable and work on movements um, like anti-extension and anti-rotation exercises. So your, your pile-off presses where you stand and you, you press a band or a cable out whilst maintaining integrity through your trunk, so you're staying nice and still. Anti-extension exercises are things like um, plank movements where essentially you're trying to stop your back from, from bowing because you don't want your back to sort of extend as, as you're running. You want to hold your trunk nice and nice and still, ribs down, core engaged, that kind of stuff. So working on anti-rotation, um, anti-extension, anti-flexion, all those sort of movements. Um, side planks are really important for runners, for that lateral stability, that lateral strength just above your, the side of your hips. Um, and then after that, yeah, you'll finish up. I'll get them to jump back on the bike for th- three minutes, five minutes, get off, have a bit of a stretch at the end of the session. So that's pretty common knowledge, isn't it? You, you don't do too much long hold sort of stretching before a, before a session. You kind of do your dynamic stretching. And if you've got trouble spots, then you might spend some time stretching. But um, you do most of that sort of stuff after, after the session. So for me, that's another area that I've been able to educate a few people on, just simple things like five or six stretches that they, that they should rotate through and do pretty regularly. So some stuff for your adductors and some stuff for your hammies and um, – Bit of bit, another foam roll if you like, bit of spiky balling on the glutes, and and that's it. Go home and eat. Yeah, and you're done with in like that's not a massive chunk out of your day either, is it? No. If if you sometimes the sessions do drag out a bit, like people get in and they muck around a bit and they chat and they spend 20 minutes on their warm up instead of 10 or 15. But if you get in there and do it like that, if you put a time limit on it and go 10 minutes on this, 10 minutes on that, five on this, 10 on this, bang, you're done. You sh- you should be able to get the main part of the session. So. The, the 
I'm time poor sometimes and I just get in there and I do I, I know my warm-up activities I get them done in a minute or two and I, I'll jump in and do three three different exercises I'll get on I'll do three sets of um, six glute bridges off a box with a barbell over me um, and then I'll do like th- three sets of deadlifts you know six seven reps with a heavy weight and then maybe a hamstring exercise at the end and I'm done in 30 minutes because I've got to get I've got another session coming in in half an hour or something like that so yeah if you're time poor, you could do it like that. Mm. There's no, there's not really any excuse. I'm lucky because I obviously work at a gym, so I can just turn around and do that. But generally, you should be able to walk walk into a gym and get the whole thing done from start to finish in under an hour. So much gold there, mate. Thank you again. Yeah, so much for sharing. And the, like, do you think there's going to be? Because this is all moving pretty fast in the running world. Like, what's where's it going to head in the future? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I just education first like i just tried to explain like why you're doing it Mm. Um, hopefully that gets through to people and then i guess the more people talk about it like the the more we're seeing runners doing well and you then you see them on social media and they're doing weights and they're getting results they're not you know they're not bulking up (laughs) they're not any bigger than they were five years ago i think i think it is catching on i think we're in the, the middle of it so i just think that's how it's going to keep progressing and uh, more and more people will, will start popping up that will be getting involved in it, I'd say. Uh, exciting time for you. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and how, like, I guess, can people, like, if they're in the Sydney area, of course, they can contact you and stuff, but, like, are you you're chockers with clients and stuff? Like, if there's people around, like, loving what they're hearing, where they go to next? Um, I, I am pretty chockers. I'm always willing to try. Um, my Instagram is the right fit PT and performance. Um, I, I'm pretty busy because I'm, I'm teaching as well so I do a bit of casual teaching on the side and I'm um, coaching and things like that so my days are pretty jam-packed but um, yeah I'm, I'm quite heavily invested at the moment in trying to get some online programming going Yeah. So um, and trying to make it quite affordable so I've got my website um, so sorry the Instagram is the right fit PT performance so if it's just all one long word, yeah. I'll put and that then, in the show notes as well. I've been following you guys and put up some good videos. And what I noticed as well, like it's not all daunting gym stuff that you put up. Like it's kind of like, ah, oh, that doesn't actually look that hard. No, it's not. It's, it's Once you get your head around it, you go, okay, stick, just keep it simple, stupid. Why are you being scared <laughs> of this stuff? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're not, you shouldn't even be getting sore. And I remember that's the thing that, that got me to contact you because I thought, why are you getting like you shouldn't be that sore from strength and strength and conditioning work? Oh, you're yeah. not. I remember you, you some of the stuff I was doing. I was just yeah. but you shouldn't be that sore. And if you're doing it on the right day, then you've got a day to recover, and your body will adapt to it. Like if you stopped running straight away because you you were sore, or as soon as you got a little niggle and you you know you stopped, you'd never get anywhere with it. Mm. So you've got to you've got to get over that initial hump with some with some easier work and just condition your body to it. It's like go, like starting running and you just go out and do a walk, jog, walk, jog for a while for a couple of weeks and then you then you build up to doing 20 minutes of jogging. You know, just jump straight on the track and do 10 400s. Like, it's the same as, same, as, same as that in the gym. Yeah, I'm nodding away at this end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I might even, like, maybe just type up that, like, what you just spoke about for that that kind of draft kind of program and send it through to you to make sure I've got it right. We might put that on the Facebook page or the, or um, in the show notes a link to Google Docs or something just so people can grab that and, and start. 
Yeah, I'm more than happy to help anyone out who's got questions and they can hit me up on my, I've got a um, the website as well, the rightfitpt.com.au. So if they email me off the email on that, I'll get back to people when I can. And like I said, I'm trying to get some online programming up and running as well for a like more affordable kind of rate for people. So yeah, man, we could even do like a part two in like three or four months. And like, here's the five frequently asked questions. Let's let's just address those. Yeah, love to. Something like yeah. that'd be cool. And you kind of yeah, kill a few birds with the one stone rather than individually writing back to a few emails. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Hey, man, I've taken up enough of your Saturday time. I can't believe that's been an hour 20 already, but I do get the guests to uh, tell me about their mantra or their life quote or a philosophy that they try to try to live their life by. And going by the passion in your voice the last hour and a bit, I'm very interested to hear this one. Uh, oh, man. I've probably... Uh, there's a few, I guess. Um, Feel free to have more than one. No, no, I, I think... I think surround yourself with positive people. That's a pretty, pretty straightforward one. But um, I think you are a product of your environment. I believe in that quite heavily. And so surround yourself with good people. And that doesn't mean necessarily successful people, rich people, whatever. Like just surround yourself with positive people who have a good impact on 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 you and your life, and who treat people treat people well. Um, and in line with that as well, just be a good person and have respect respect for people. And I believe things things will work out. I, I had a a not not so easy upbringing. Um, my brother, who I've mentioned quite a few times, um, people who know me know that I talk about him a lot. But he he raised me um, from the age of ten after our um, mother passed away. So we're we're quite close. And so I haven't had it. I don't think I've had it tough. I think life's just life and it's all relative. But I didn't have the easiest start and I didn't do super well at school and all that sort of stuff. But what's got me to where I am now is just just having those good people like my brother around and like his wife and like my wife and the few close close friends that I that I associate with. So it doesn't need to be a big group of people, but just people who do good things and who treat people right Um and be a good person yourself and respect people and respect their time and be polite and all that sort of stuff. And I think to me, that's, that's life. <laughs> if you do that stuff, you'll be fine. Yeah. It's a pretty, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. It's a pretty good, pretty good point to end on. And it's, yeah, once again, it's not over the top. It's pretty simple stuff. Yeah. You Don't still, overcomplicate things. Still Keep close with your brother these days? Oh yeah. Super close. Super so you still, does he still run and stuff? Um, well, that's a whole other podcast. He's, um, I don't know how I've got through a whole podcast without bragging about him. He's, he's quite good. Uh, he's now, well, he'd be 47 now, but a few years ago he had a, he got back into running and, um, I think he raced you and I think he was, were you in the city to surf in 2013 or 14? Uh, yeah, would have been around those years. Yep. He, at the age of 44, he ran 44 minutes for the city to surf. Um, and he ran, at the same time, he was running 14, 1440 or 1450 for 5K at 44 years of age. So, and I think he ran 401 or 402 for 1500. So, he's a very, very good runner. Yeah. But uh, his progress at the key age of 20 to 30, 35 was kind of halted by having me to look after and having to get a full time job and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't think he ever kind of got to where he, he would have gotten to. But um, he's, yeah, he's a very, very good runner. Good yeah, but hey, looking at the product that you've turned into as well, like that must be keep keeping pretty, uh, pretty satisfied and rewarded. <laughs> hopefully, he's got he's got two little girls that keep him happy. So, yeah, hopefully, 
Yeah, I'm just looking up these results now. I ran 44 minutes dead that year. Um, so which year was that? So 2013, I think he ran 45, and then the year after he ran 44. Oh, hang on. This is an all-time male ranking list that I found here. This could be uh, interesting. Jeez, 256th on ranked. 44 dead. Wow, I don't know. I thought I might have been a bit higher than that, but I guess some legends right. of uh, some legends have ran that one before. And it's actually Steve Monaghetti's seventh slowest time is the same time as mine. Uh, yeah, that's good to know. Um, let me search here for Costello. Let's see. Peter Costello, 44-21. There you go. 44-41, no, sorry. Yeah. Not bad, huh? That's pretty good. Um, yeah, and it was male 40-49. to yeah, so he must. Yeah, well, he must have been pretty. Well, did he say if we were running together during that race? Because I remember spending some time with Hugh Williams that day, like a baby to the hot. He, he would have been Sydney Uni gear, um, the all whites, and he he remembers you because I, I saw him the other day when he was when I said I walked in and he was listening to the podcast and he said, "Oh, I know, I know Brady. I raced against him in 2013, and you were just ahead of him. I think. I think you were. I think you were top ten, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I think I was eighth or something that day. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, actually, this will tell me right here, 44 um, 9th, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Hugh Williams that day was, oh, no, that was 2012, different year. 44-10, he's, he's been 44-10 before, and that's interesting. 282nd spot, Julian Spence, 44-10 also. So I've got 10 seconds on the wise man. That's good to know. Didn't sure. realise that. Another one to add to the list. I'll bring that up this week, yeah. <laughs> Um, beautiful, mate. Well, thanks. Yeah, the fourteen k doesn't count, mate. Yeah, he'll say that. Yeah, just like the half marathon and fifteen hundred and three k for Brad's. But yeah, yeah, hopefully we've got some good news on that front when he uh, when Brad has a blinder tomorrow. Yeah, can't wait to find out. Yeah, it should be good. Well, thanks again for your time, Dave. Really appreciate uh, yeah giving up a big chunk of Saturday afternoon. And yeah, I think every listener is going to become a better better runner after implying some of those things into their life. Um, it's been absolute honour to come on the no, show. No, no, I definitely honour to have guys like you on. Like I, yeah, I'd, I'd sit in the car and listen to that and pay good money to hear that stuff. And the fact that you are willing to come on and give that away for free, I'm really grateful for. Ah, absolutely fine. Anytime. Beautiful day. Thanks for that. No worries. Have a good day.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 